0: Today, we will be reading from Financing Finnegan, Part 1. Finnegan and I have the same literary agent to sell our writings for us, but though I had often been in Mr. Cannon's office just before and just after Finnegan's visits, I had never met him. Likewise, we had the same publisher, and often, when I arrived there, Finnegan had just departed. I gathered from a thoughtful, sighing way in which they spoke of him. Ah, Finnegan! Oh, yes, Finnegan was here. But the distinguished author's visit had not been uneventful. Certain remarks implied that he had taken something with him when he went. Manuscripts, I supposed. One of those great successful novels of his. He had taken it off for a final revision, a last draft, of which he was rumored to make ten in order to achieve that facile flow, that ready wit, which distinguished his work. I discovered only gradually that most of Finnegan's visits had to do with money. "'I'm sorry you're leaving,' Mr. Cannon would tell me. "'Finnegan will be here tomorrow,' then after a thoughtful pause. "'I'll probably have to spend some time with him.'" I don't know what note in his voice reminded me of a talk with a nervous bank president when Dillinger was reported in the vicinity. His eyes looked out into the distance, And then he spoke to himself. Of course, he may be bringing a manuscript. He has a novel he's been working on, you know. And a play, too. He spoke as if they were talking about some interesting but remote events of a sequincento. But his eyes became more hopeful, as he added. Or maybe a short story. He's very versatile, isn't he? I said. Oh, yes, Mr. Cannon perked up. He can do anything, anything, when he puts his mind to it. There's never been such a talent. I haven't seen much of his work lately. Oh, but he's working hard. Some of the magazines have story of his that they're holding. Holding for what? Oh, for a more appropriate time, an upswing. They like to think that they have something of Finnegan's. He was indeed a name with ingots in it. His career had started brilliantly, and if it had not kept up to its first exalted level, at least it started brilliantly, all over again, every few years. He was the perennial man of promise in American letters. What he could actually do with words was astounding. They glowed and coruscated. He wrote sentences, paragraphs, chapters that were masterpieces of fine weaving and spinning. It was only when I met some poor devil of a screenwriter who had been trying to make a logical story out of one of his books that I realized he had his enemies. It's all beautiful when you read it, this man said disgustedly. But when you write it down, plain, it's like a week in the house. From Mr. Cannon's office, I went over to my publishers on Fifth Avenue, and there, too, I had learned in no time that Finnegan was expected tomorrow indeed he had thrown such a long shadow before him that the luncheon where i had expected to discuss my own work was largely devoted to finnegan again i had the feeling that my host mr george jaggers was not talking to me but to himself finnegan's a great writer he said undoubtedly and he's really quite all right you know As I hadn't questioned the fact, I inquired whether there was any doubt about it. Oh no, he said hurriedly. It's just that he's had such a run of bad luck lately. I shook my head sympathetically. I know, that diving into a half-empty pool was a tough break. Oh, it wasn't half-empty. It was full of water. Full to the brim. You ought to hear Finnegan on the subject. He makes a side-splitting story of it. It seems He was in a run-down condition and just diving from the side of the pool, you know. Mr. Jagger pointed his knife and fork at the table, and he saw some young girls diving from the 15-foot board. He says he thought of his lost youth and went up to do the same and made a beautiful swan dive, but his shoulder broke while he was still in the air. He looked at me rather anxiously. Haven't you heard of cases like that? A ball player throwing his arm at a joint? I couldn't think of any orthopedic parallels at the moment. And then, he continued dreamily, Finnegan had to write on the ceiling. On the ceiling. Practically. He didn't give up writing. He has plenty of guts, that fellow, though you may not believe it. He had some sort of arrangement built that was suspended from the ceiling, and he lay on his back and wrote in the air. I had to grant that was a courageous arrangement. Did it affect his work? I inquired. Did you have to read his stories backwards, like Chinese? They were rather confused for a while, he admitted. But he's all right now. I've got several letters from him that sounded more like the old Finnegan, full of life and hope and plans for the future. The faraway look came into his face, and I turned the discussion to affairs closer to my heart. Only when we were back in the office did the subject reoccur. And I blush as I write this because it includes confessing something I seldom do. Reading another man's telegram. It happened because Mr. Jaggers was intercepted in the hall, and when I went into his office and sat down, it was stretched open before me. With 50, I could at least pay typist and get haircut and pencils. Life has become impossible, and I exist on Dream of Good News, Desperately Finnegan. I couldn't believe my eyes. Fifty dollars! And I happened to know that Finnegan's price for short stories was somewhere around 3000 George Jaggers found me staring dazedly at the telegram. After he read it, he stared at me with stricken eyes. "'I don't see how I can consciously do it,' he said. I started and glanced around to make sure I was in the prosperous publishing office in New York. Then I understood. I had misread the telegram. Finnegan was asking for 50000 as an advance, a demand that would have staggered any publisher.' No matter who the writer was. Only last week, said Mr. Jaggers disconsolately, I sent him a hundred dollars. It puts my department in the red every season. So I don't dare to tell my partners any more. I take it out of my own pocket, give up a suit and a pair of shoes. You mean Finnegan's broke? Broke. He looked at me and laughed soundlessly. In fact, I didn't exactly like the way he laughed. My brother had a nervous... But that is a field from the story. After a minute, he pulled himself together. You won't say anything about this, will you? The truth is, Finnegan's been in a slump. He's had blow after blow in the past few years, but now he's snapping out of it, and I know we'll get back every cent we've He tried to think of a word, but given him, slipped out. This time, it was he who was eager to change the subject. Don't let me give the impression that Finnegan's affairs absorbed me during a whole week in New York. It was inevitable, though, that being much in the offices of my agent and my publisher, I happened in a lot. For instance, two days later, using the telephone in Mr. Cannon's office, I was accidentally switched in on a conversation he was having with George Jaggers. It was only partly eavesdropping, you see, because I could only hear one end of the conversation, and that isn't as bad as hearing it all. But I got the impression he was in good health. He did say something about his heart a few months ago, but I understood it got well. Yes, and he talked about some operation he wanted to have. I think he said it was cancer. Well, I feel like telling him if I had a little operation on my sleeve too, that I would have had it by now if I could have afforded it. No, I didn't say it. He seemed in such good spirits that it would have been a shame to bring him down. He's starting a story today. He read me some of it on the phone. I did give him 25 because he didn't have a cent in his pocket. Oh, yes, I'm sure he'd, he'll he be all right now. He sounds as if he means business. I understood it all now. The two men had entered into a silent conspiracy to cheer each other up about Finnegan. Their investment in him, in his future, had reached a sum so considerable that Finnegan belonged to them. They could not bear to hear a word against him, even from themselves.